Good morning, everybody. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Uh, very grateful to be with you all today. Uh, we're in that weird period where it's spring, but allergy season has not yet started, so this is a, a pretty good time for me. Uh, before we get into today's message, I want to pray for us. So God, our Father, I pray that you would meet us here. Lord, we happen to be in a public school, uh, Lord, with so many different things that may or may not be swirling through our minds. Father, I pray that we'd be able to give you our focus and our attention. And Lord, I pray that something that I say in my words today would be helpful and would meet your people exactly where they are. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So I have a couple of fears uh, in life. Uh, I think one of the first fears that I have is that uh, somehow, some way, uh, somebody will find the pictures of me in my junior prom when I had these. I was wearing Durangos. I don't know if anybody remembered those Durangos. It was not a good look, not a good outfit. That's one big fear and that it would circulate throughout social media. Uh, the second fear I have is a lot more real and actually a lot more dangerous. It's that I would be a hypocrite. Now, this is a really big fear that I have, um, not because of the modern definition of hypocrisy. I, I think when we hear about the word hypocrite in modern day terms, we think about somebody who says one thing and does another. Now, that's certainly possible for anybody, and I'm no exception to that. Uh, but the modern definition of hypocrite doesn't really encapsulate what I'm talking about. Now, when I think about hypocrite today, I think about someone who says one thing and does another. I was talking to a, uh, a guy from my church a couple months ago, and he was like, he's a vegan. I was like, oh, that's what's up. You know what I'm saying? Praise God. Get, you know, uh, get clean, clean eating, all that good stuff. And then I saw him a couple weeks later, and he was eating chicken. And I was like, bro, what are you... Oh, you a meat-eating vegan. That's what you are. You're one of those. Okay. He was like, nah, on the weekends, I eat chicken. I was like, okay. So you're a weekday, weekday vegan. That's what it makes sense. Totally makes sense. When I say hypocrite, I'm not talking about somebody who says one thing and, and does another. Uh, actually, the, the New Testament word and usage of the word for hypocrite meant like an actor. So in ancient Greece, they had these people who wore masks, and their theater was a little different than our theater. Uh, most of the time, it was wordless, and there would be people with these masks that had an expression on it. And when Jesus was talking to some of the religious leaders of his day, he would look at them and say, you know who y'all remind me of? Actors. You're like the stage actors who have this perpetual performance. They're uh, people in theater that had this particular face, facial expression from their masks, but you don't really know who they are. But you always see them in a performance. That who they are on the outside is not flowing from who they truly are on the inside. And one of the greatest dangers that all of us in this room and watching online face is that you would be an actor. You would be somebody that has a whole lot of spiritual activity, but it doesn't actually match up with your heart's motivations. Jesus had some very firm words for these Pharisees, these people that he would call actors. One scripture, Jesus in Matthew 15 is talking to them about the faces that they put on. And he says, you hypocrites, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts, their heart is far from me. Jesus continues, he says, they worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. 
can you think of a, a, a worse thing that could be said about your life? That you are an actor, that you have a lot of religious activity, but your heart, the thing that matters the most, is far from God. Now, Jesus says something very interesting in verse 9 of this scripture. He says, they worship me in vain. And that addition to the scripture is something that's really profound and important because when you do something in vain, it means no matter how much of it you do, it is of no benefit at all. I got a, when I was in seminary, I took a preaching class and I got a C, which explains a lot about my life. And I didn't get a C for the reason that, uh, maybe I did, I don't know. Uh, the reason that I got a C, at least in my own mind, was because um, I didn't turn in these preaching journals. So in the syllabus, which I didn't read, the professor said, <laughs> you have to turn in every single Friday a journal entry. It could just be a couple of paragraphs, but you have to turn in a journal entry about how these scriptures are speaking to you. And part of your final grade is based on your journals. So being the genius that I am, I didn't read the syllabus. And towards the end of the semester, I was talking to a classmate. He was like, yeah, man, you know, I, I did pretty well in the final, in the paper. And I'm, you know, really happy with my journal grades. And I was like, oh, your journal grades, he's been, he's been grading those. <laughs> so I emailed the professor, tried to be all deep, like, hey, professor, just checking in. First of all, how are you doing? Because not enough, it's, you know what I'm saying? I want to check in on you to see how you're doing. <laughs> Secondly, uh, hey, these journals are pretty late, but don't worry. I'm going to have all of them in on Friday. And I'll never forget the email exchange I had with the professor. He said, Jordan, do not turn in those preaching journals because they're late. They were due weeks and weeks and weeks ago. And if you spend all week writing more preaching journals, your labor will be in vain. I won't even grade them. This is what Jesus is saying means when he says they worship me in vain, that the intensity, the duration, the passion, the, all of the effort required to worship God, all of the religious garb, all of the time they spent reading and debating the Torah, all of this is in vain. It adds absolutely nothing. So it follows logically that Jesus is very concerned with our hearts. Not just your doing, but your being. Who are you really? What are you from the inside out? So it follows logically that Jesus, when he taught this sermon series, the sermon, uh, the sermon on the Mount, uh, on, the Beata, on the Beatitudes, that Jesus would include something about the heart. Jesus was constantly talking about our hearts and how vital they are to shape and form our relationship with God and how everything we do really does flow from it. So for the last couple of months before Easter, we were doing a sermon series called The Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are a series of statements by Jesus uh, on something called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus taught what does a blessed life look like. Now, when you hear that word blessed, uh, oftentimes we have an understanding of what we think that means. So I think I'm blessed when my kids sleep through the night. I feel blessed when the seamless delivery gets there on time. I feel blessed every time the direct deposit hits. Now, yeah, some of y'all like, y'all, I definitely feel blessed. That's when we, yeah. That hit home, like, yo. It, it's not fun being broke, y'all. If you've ever been broke before, it is not fun. Um, 
So a lot of times we have understandings of what we think blessed means. We normally equate blessedness with the quality, having a quality of life that we have deemed appropriate and vital and necessary. So we think it's blessed to have an Instagram life. Now, there, are no, there is nothing wrong with enjoying life. And in all of the things I, I talk about, I never want people to feel like self-loathing, that God wants you to be miserable and just, uh, no, I think that God is a good father and he loves you and he wants you to enjoy the things that he gives us. But Jesus does radically define and redefine what does it mean to be blessed. And here's the beatitude for today. Jesus says this, this is what it means for you to be blessed. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You are blessed if you have a pure heart, because we will see God. Now, all throughout Scripture, there's a lot of references to the heart. And essentially, the heart is what you are. Your heart is who you are in the secrecy of your thoughts and feelings when nobody is around but God to see it. And who you are from the invisible root matters to God probably more than even what you do. What you do matters. Why you do it matters even more. And if our hearts are not right, nothing else we do matters. There's one scripture in 1 Samuel 16 and 7 where the author says, Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Humans see your attendance, your habits, your disciplines, your actions, your activity, but God sees beneath that to your heart. Going further, your heart is not just what's invisible, but it's also the thing that's most important about you, and it's, it's shaping everything that you do. So Jesus says this in Matthew 15, 18 and 19. Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. The list can go pretty long. What Jesus is basically saying is, the reason you act the way you do is because of your heart. Let me be very helpful for people in relationships. It's not them. Every time I get a chance to counsel couples, uh, they come in with a list. The list of what the other person is doing that have caused them to act the way that they are acting. And we believe this lie that if this other person were to change, we would magically improve our behavior as well and everything would improve. The most, the biggest hindrance in all of your relationships that you're in now or will have is this, you and your own selfishness. That's the biggest issue in every single relationship. And we're so blind to it. And by the grace of God, God has given us, sometime, for some of us, a relationship which is now a mirror that's showing you who you really are. We did this illustration during our sermon series on, on real love, and I held a water bottle and I shook it and I said, hey, why does water come out this water bottle? And everybody said, because you shook it. And then I took out an empty water bottle and I shook it and I said, well, why did nothing come out of this water bottle? What's in you comes out of you. The reason that there are so many wars, as James says, and quarrels and fights is not because of something they did. They did bump you, yes they did, but there was something already inside of you. It's a very sobering reminder in even how we navigate our friendships, uh, relationships with our family and friends and romantic relationships, that when people bump us and something comes out of you, Jesus would say, that came out of you because that was in you. They didn't put that in you. So our heart is a very, very important aspect of our life, the most important aspect of our life 
for everything that we do comes out of it. So our heart is really crucial to Jesus. What we are in the deep private recesses of our lives, this is what Jesus cares the most about. Jesus did not come into this world simply because we have some bad habits that need to be broken. He came into this world because we have dirty hearts that need to be purified. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? We, we know how important our hearts are. Uh, Jesus says that all your worship and activity means nothing if your heart is not right. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? So I think first and foremost, we have to talk about what pure in heart is not. So we said this in the first service. A couple of people yelled it at yelled it out. Um, when you hear purity, what's the first thing you think of? Sex. Thank you very much. We're allowed to say this. We're adults. In American culture, we hear purity and we think of sex. When Jesus was preaching this sermon, when Jesus said these words, bless other pure in heart, sex was not something that was on the top of his list of what this meant. It means something far more profound than just what we think about as it pertains to sex and sexuality. That is not something that Jesus was wanting to communicate to his primary audience. Jesus' followers, and especially the Pharisees that Jesus uh, would go against so often, these people lived the most morally upright lives imaginable. And when Jesus was talking to them about their heart, he was not talking about that. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? We could do very well to take a cue from Malachi 3 and 3. Here's what Malachi says. Malachi 3.3 says, God will be like a refiner of, like a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. The word for pure in the New Testament literally means unmixed as it pertains to like gold or silver. So if you have like really good quality gold, what it means essentially is that all of the impurities, the additives have been removed. So what you have is straight from the source with no additives and it's not mixed with something else. Malachi says that what God's role is in your life is to purify your heart and remove all the extra additives so that your life, your devotion, the single goal and aim of your life would not be mixed, that you wouldn't have competing interests, that your attention would be undivided. And Jesus says, if your heart and your passion, if your goals if your ambitions, if your motivations are unmixed and that you want God above all else, you will see God and you are blessed. Scriptures continue in James 4 and 8. James gives us a little bit of a cue on what this means. James says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts. Who? You double-minded. What James is saying and is picking up on a theme of what Jesus is saying is to be double-minded is to lack purity in heart, to have your attention going multiple different directions uh, so that um, we are not able to love the Lord God with all our hearts and strength and soul and mind. So in Scripture, a double-minded man or woman is a person who lacks uh, purity of heart. Purity of heart in Scripture is one who has full and total allegiance to God. Now, I do want to be very careful uh, that I'm not misunderstood in, in certain ways. A lot of times people come in, and some of you right now, you have like real issues in your life. And what I am not saying is that to be worried about your finances, if like money is really tight right now, to be worried about your health or relationships, that does not lack purity of heart. 
You are not lacking purity of heart if you have real life concerns. Scripture is not meant to belittle those things as if they are not important. Those are real important things. But what it does mean is that even in your struggling and your suffering, for example, you would not struggle and suffer in such a way that God would be removed from the equation. So when I think about the, the challenges and the strifes that I have, if my, attend, if my attention and my devotion is, brought, is, is to God in a, in a pure heart, then I will see my struggles not just as inconveniences to be navigated around, but rather I will see that these are lightened momentary afflictions that they are producing inside of me an eternal weight that is far more precious than anything I'm going through right now. I will see all of my trials, uh, though they may be real and serious, as opportunities to draw closer to God. That God is working with me to hopefully alleviate the pain, but also God has not left. And these are situations that are refining us so that we're not suffering by ourselves or suffering in, in vain. Um, and I don't want people to, to hear me dismiss the real challenges and, and struggles that people have. But to be pure in heart, that your attention and your focus will be on God. That you are unmixed in your ambitions. So what is this going to do for you tomorrow morning? Uh, we have a lot of people from a lot of different professions at Renaissance. And if you're a teacher and, or an educator, how, do, how are you pure in heart while teaching your kids? What does it mean to live out your faith as a teacher? Pastor Brandon talks about this a lot. To, to live out your faith at work is not carrying around tracks, trying to Jesus juke people into conversations about faith. That's not what it's about. But what would it look like if in, I know you have progress reports, I know you have deadlines, I know you have score testing and, and reading things that you have to, um, that the kids have to measure up to, but instead of all of the metrics, what if you saw yourself as a, as, as a steward of God's people in front of you, and that God has gifted you the opportunity to steward this place in their lives, and that God wants to use you, and in all of your working and all of your dealing with test scores and all these different things, what if you saw yourself as God's agent in the lives of people? This is what it means to be pure in heart, to have a single devotion. Yes, you want your kids to do well on their test scores. Yes, you want them to be elevated in grade and reading level. All of these things are good and wonderful. But to be pure in heart adds this dimension that your ambition is unmixed. Your assignment is clear. You know why you are here. You are here to steward the responsibility that God himself has given you. This is why biblical authors would say, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in one way, it impacts the way that we work. Uh, but another way, it actually does change the way that you interact with people. Um, so I said this in the first service that my name is Jordan Rice, and I am a recovering people pleaser. Uh, ever since I was young, I, I can remember all the times that I've gone out of my way to be a people pleaser so that people would speak well of me, so that I can be invited into things. And to be a people pleaser is not a good recipe for a pastor. I can tell you that right now. Um, I remember early on in, uh, in, Ren in Renaissance, in the life of our church, just going through a bunch of different uh, scenarios. And I, I reached out to one of my friends and uh, I, I hit him up, he was a pastor friend. He had been pastoring for a little bit longer than I have. And I said, yo, bro, we have all of these things. I feel like I'm a fireman. I'm constantly putting out fires. And I sat down with him and I was like, man, I just need like clarity on how to like navigate some of these issues. And he stopped me almost mid-sentence to say, Jordan, honestly, like I could give you a better ways to talk about these things, 
But I actually think that you just need to learn how to live with other people not being pleased with you. And I was like, bro, you wasted my time. I did not come here <laughs> to hear that. I came here for advice. You could have texted me that. But the Apostle Paul says it like this in Galatians 1 and 10. He says it more sternly. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of people or of God? Or am I trying to please people? Here's what he says. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, here's what I found to be true. It is impossible for you to live for God's well done when you're still living for the good opinion of other people. It's impossible for you to simultaneously live to hear God say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant, if you're still living for the good opinion of other people. And to be pure in heart in this means living with God's opinion of you as the most important thing. Think about this past week in your life. How have you lived in such a way that God's opinion of you and how you were living was the most important thing? Not of how you would be perceived, not of how you're coming across, not of how this would advance you, but what does God say about who I am and how I am? And to allow that to be the ultimate thing that functionally shapes us. And this is what Jesus is talking about, what it means to be pure in heart. Jesus continues and he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, what does it mean to see God? I think it means a couple of things. Um, the first thing I think it means is it means admitted into God's presence. If you call your doctor's office to see your doctor, you're not asking a, to, for the doctor's office to send a picture of what your doctor looks like. You're asking to be admitted into the doctor's presence, to be seen by them. So on one hand, we are, Jesus is telling you this, that the root to being in God's presence is not about emotion, it's about devotion. So think about how we even sing songs about God's presence. Some of you woke up this morning coming to the church to hopefully be made aware of God's presence. And we think that if I want to experience God, if I want to see God, if I want to be in God's presence, then I need to be in a building, I need to experience worship and really good singing and the, and the drums and the bass hitting me in my chest. And this is how I'm going to experience God. I think that our emotions are important and that matters for sure. I think our worship services are meant to tune our hearts to God, our Father. However, the route to seeing God in Jesus' words is not through your emotions, it's through your devotion. It's in the singularness of your focus and your attention and your motivation. And if you live like that, Jesus says, you will experience God. You will see him. You'll be admitted by God uh, based on the blood of Christ into his, his presence. And that can happen on the subway. That doesn't need to happen on a Sunday morning. This is a 24-7, 365 approach to what it means to be a Christian, to live uh, for him. So number one, it, to see God means to be admitted into his presence. And we get there through our singularness of focus. Now, what's the, what's the biggest gift you can give to someone? Your attention. Your undivided attention. Somebody said money. That's <laughs> money. I, like, listen, that's hilarious. The biggest gift you can ever give to someone is your undivided attention. I've been doing a lot of work with emotional health and all these different things in my, in my, in my life and in my relationships. And I realized a couple of years ago that I'm a really bad listener. Like, I listen to respond. I listen, I say, I'm going to let her finish. Go ahead, keep going. 
All right. Are you done? And I don't cut people off. I thought I was being a good listener because I wasn't cutting people off and I was letting them finish. And I realized how painful and how difficult it was to just listen to someone without feeling any need to respond, to counter what they were saying, to add to what they were saying. And I feel like I've been a bad friend for the last 40 years of my life leading up to this because I didn't feel like I was actually listening to people. I wasn't, I was listening with my intention at heart. So whatever words, whatever things they shared with me, it wasn't, I didn't treat it in the, in the way that they were meant to be treated. If you wanna bless every relationship you are in right now, friendship, at work, with parents, kids, whatever, make it your intention to listen to them, to give them your undivided attention. The times I've done this, people have thanked me so much, and times people have done this for me, it's been a powerful thing for someone to just listen to me Think about how much more powerful it would be if you made up your mind to give God your undivided attention. That you would allow God to speak without worrying about what he wants you to do. That you would allow God through his scripture to just have some time to speak to you and that you would just listen. You would just take those words to heart. You would chew on them over and over and over again. David says in Psalm that blessed is the one who meditates on God's word. Meditates, meditation from that um, that perspective that David was talking about in the Psalms was like a cow who chews over uh, grass over and over and over and over again. So I'm not talking about reading the entire book of the Bible in one sitting or anything like that, but what does it look like to give God our attention to his words? That is the blessed life that Jesus is talking about. That's going to allow us to see God in real profound ways. So how do we, how do, we do this in, in our life to catch glimpses of God's glory? Uh, number one, First and foremost, um, this happens through the Holy Spirit making our hearts alive. There is no formula that we can run or do to make our hearts pure on our own. There's a book called The Forgotten God, written by a man named Francis Chan. And um, one of the things that stuck out to me so painfully was how much I live my life as a Christian in such a way that I actually really don't need the Holy Spirit. I don't functionally live as if I'm dependent on God the Holy Spirit to change my life, to lead me as a pastor, to do all the things that I want God to do. And a lot of times, to be perfectly honest, I think about my prayerlessness in times where I pray as a last resort. I can't figure it out, let me go pray. Instead of prayer being the first option, and first and foremost, I think we need the Holy Spirit to make our hearts alive because there's a huge aspect to our life and to your faith, for those of you who have placed your faith in Christ, that you cannot do on your own at all. A couple of days ago, I was watching, um, was it the Magnolia Network on Discovery Plus? I'm pretending like I don't know. I do love those shows. <laughs> Nothing will make me more angry than when my kids make me miss the reveal at the end of the renovation. I'm like, I waited 45 minutes. I'm going to see this kitchen. If Listen, go to the bathroom by yourself. I have to see this kitchen. And one of the shows that they have on the Magnolia Network is this um, urban uh, farming show. It's about a Caribbean woman, a Jamaican lady in Atlanta who's an urban farmer. And she said something in the trailer for her show that was profound. She was talking about the soil and how much she works to till the land and the seed and how much care she takes to water it and to not overwater it. And then she says, and then 
I just let the magic happen. She knew that with farming, there was a major piece of it that happens invisibly and outside of all of her effort. Now, whenever Jesus spoke about your spiritual life, my spiritual life, he never spoke about it in mechanical terms that we can make something happen. Your spiritual life is not a Subaru. Jesus always talked about your spiritual life in organic terms, that one man sows, one man water, and God gives the increase. That there is a major part of our life that we are completely dependent on God the Spirit to make our hearts alive. As it says in Romans 8 and 11, that if Christ lives in you, he will breathe life into your mortal body. So this means that from a very practical purpose, we are going to God first and foremost, asking God to do the work in our hearts and our lives that we can never do on our own. So number two, though, for those of you who um, you've been rocking with Renaissance for uh, maybe some of you for seven days, this is like week number two for you. Um, man, shout out to everybody who's, uh, who's, who's, who's doing that, all our new people. It's so, it's so grateful. Um, if you don't know where you stand in your life and your faith with Jesus, um, one of our major joys in life is to help people take the next step in faith. What it means for them to make God their singular focus. What does it mean for them to make God the person in their life, uh, to invite God in their, in their life in a real and profound way, to give their lives to Christ? Uh, so we have a baptism class on May 9th at 7.30 p.m., and we would love for you to sign up for that. I think the links have been going out in the emails, um, and we would love for you to sign up for that. The baptism class is a no-pressure way for you to ask questions about what does your next step of faith look like. So May 9th, if you, that's you, please make sure you sign up for that. But there's also, there's also some other things that we can do, um, and we'll end it here. Scripture calls us to guard our hearts and cultivate our hearts. Scripture calls you to guard your heart and to cultivate your heart. Here's what it says in Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Now, when I first became a Christian, I was in a faith tradition that taught me that my heart was deceptive and deceitful beyond all understanding. And I would really believe the theology that there was nothing good in, inside of my heart. But there are good things inside of your heart because that's why scripture tells you to guard it. Here's what we see in Romans 5 and 5. It says that God's love has been poured out in your hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So scripture tells us that you need, to guard, you need to guard your heart because God's love, a measure of God's love has been poured into your heart and we need to guard it. Now I love what the scripture writer says in Proverbs. They say, above all else, guard your heart. Now think about the things that you guard. You guard your bank account information, you guard your kids, you guard what you eat, uh, you guard your apartment, you lock the doors, you go back five times and make sure they're locked before you go to sleep. Scripture says, as important as all those things are, that you should be guarding your heart more than any of those other things. Because from your heart is the source of life. Now think about when's the last time that you took a day off for parents to, from guarding your kids? Like, ah, whatever he does, eh. <laughs> it's Saturday, he'll be fine. I'm just going to let him run around the playground. I'll come back in a half an hour. Think about how much you guard your accounts and your bank account information. You would never just say, you know what? Nah, whatever happens on the weekend, it happens. We guard those things every single day because we know they're valuable. Scripture says your heart is even more valuable. And above all else, we need to guard it. In some very practical ways, I think we need to guard the influences that we are allowing to come into our heart. Doom scrolling 
is not a good thing. This endlessly scrolling through social media, having certain conversations, participating in gossip, whatever the, the thing is, you have to be looking at these conversations and interactions as things, seeds that are being sown on your heart. And scripture says we need to guard it. So number one, I think we need to guard our hearts um, and protect it from allowing all these things to come into it because from our hearts springs the uh, flow, the springs of life. And secondly, we need to allow ourselves to participate in the means of grace. Now, the means of grace are reading the Bible, prayer, fasting, community. I used to call them disciplines, but now I call them means of grace because this is how God wants to get his grace into you, through community, through fasting, through prayer, through scripture reading. And these are not chores and duties to be done. These are God's means of grace that he wants to impart his purity in our lives. I think about just what it would mean for me. I'll never forget one day when I was going through my early stages of recovering as a people pleaser, and I read a scripture in Romans 8, and it says that God has foreknown me before the foundation of the world. God has predestined me to be made in the image of Christ. God has called me. God has justified me. God has glorified me. So what does it matter what they think about me? There is a purifying aspect that happens when we allow ourselves to sit under the weight and the words of Scripture, that through the Holy Spirit, he, act, he changes our hearts and he purifies our hearts. And another means of grace is prayer. Uh, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught his disciples on how to pray, there's a line in there about forgiveness where Jesus teaches his disciples. He teaches those who would follow him that this is how you should pray in every single day to come before God and say, God, forgive us of our sins. Now, in Scripture, repentance is not something that's reserved for really dangerous and really scary things. Us coming before God and, and asking for forgiveness is meant to be part of, like, the rhythm of our lives, almost like washing our hands. There's a Scripture in 1 John 1 and 9 that I've referred to a lot. It says this, that God is faithful and just, that if we forgive our sins, if, if we confess our sins, excuse me, if we confess our sins to God, God will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So a big part of how we become more uh, pure in heart so that we can see God is simply coming to God and asking God for forgiveness because he is faithful, he is just, he wants to forgive us and he wants to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wants you to be aligned. He doesn't want you to be a hypocrite. He wants your heart to be pure. So let's come to him now. God, our Father, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters in this room and watching us online. God, I thank you for your words, which are equally convicting and encouraging. Lord, I pray today that my heart would be made pure by you and you alone. And Lord, I pray for the wisdom to guard it. I pray for the diligence to guard it. And Lord, in the ways that I have strayed from you, in the ways that I've put on a mask, Lord, I ask for forgiveness. I come to you, Lord, asking for you to, to cleanse me from the need for other people to think well of me. And Lord, would you make our hearts pure? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.